The following message was given to the North Young Adult Group at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Moundsview, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church slash Young Adults. If you would turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. It'll really help you, I think, to have the whole book in front of you on something. So even though I will have slides, I think that will... Because I'm doing the whole chapter. Um, and I won't talk very long, but it'll help you see what I'm doing with the whole chapter. I'm going to pull out lines that I think are significant. I'm going to read 1 to 3 to start. And this is Paul talking to the church. I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. So he's struggling for them. And for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen, my, seen me face to face. And here's what he's struggling for. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. And here's the purpose. To reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So do you see the purpose there? especially in verse, the middle of verse 2, Paul is struggling that they would reach the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So that's, this is, this is here I would have like the purpose. And another one would be um, that they would see your good order and firmness of your faith in Christ. We didn't read that part, but it's there. And then in 2.6, as you have received Christ, so walk in him, rooted and built up and established in the faith. So this is like, this is what Paul's aiming at. And to start, I just want to go here. This is the same verse I just read. And someone yell out, what, what do the, the orange words, assurance, understanding, knowledge, wisdom, knowledge, what do they all have in common? Just shout it out. Information. Information, comprehension, comprehension confidence. confidence, right? They're all, nouns. They're all what? They're all nouns? Given by the Lord? I think so, yeah. Um, but, but where we're going, I think, is right. Just on the face value level, they all have to do with, what would we say, comprehension? On, what was the other one? The mind, yeah, right? So, yeah, I think so. And now my second question would be, what would be one of the biggest threats to people getting here? This is, this is where he wants to get them. He's struggling to get them here, to reach that understanding knowledge. What would be one of the biggest threats to that? There's probably many, but what would be one in relation to the mind? False. That's right. Right. Straightforward. Right. False doctrine. Anything, any sort of knowledge or understanding that would lead them away from Christ. That's the main point. Any type of understanding or knowledge or wisdom that would lead them away from Christ would be a big threat. Right. Which is why the rest of the chapter, Paul's addressing that. So look at a couple of verses with me. Verse four. 
I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Arguments have to do with right, persuading your mind, right? So he's, he's starting to, we're starting to figure out what he, this is how he's struggling with them. Another one, verse six and seven. As you have received Christ, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught. It has to do with the mind. He's struggling to get them there. Verse 8. So I'm going through the chapter now. I'm showing you how Paul's doing this. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, which that's also information, and not according to Christ. You see it? And then verse 16 and 17. Here's another one. So it's good to follow along in your Bible just to see how the chapter is unfolding. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink and festival, new moon and Sabbath. These are all doctrines, teachings, right? To try to get their minds to be passed judgment over. 2.20. If with Christ you have died to the elements, elemental spirits of the world, why, as you were, you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations like do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are teachings. Colossians 3.1. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on earth. Set your minds. And so look again at verse 2 and 3. Paul is struggling with them so that they would reach all the riches of assurance, of understanding, and of knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so that's my topic tonight. Um, being rooted in Christ and how that affects your mind and your teaching and where you go with your doctrine. Being rooted in Christ is uh, really significant. So to start off, I'm going to talk about um, the nature of false doctrine. Um, from this chapter, what can we learn about the nature of false doctrine? And I'm just going to list a couple things. Number one, false doctrine is composed of plausible arguments. Verse four. I don't have this on the screen, so make sure to look in your Bibles with me. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Another way to translate that would be persuasive speech, right? Someone coming along and persuading you with their speech and with their arguments. And uh, you don't have to have correct teaching to be persuasive with arguments, right? It's not how it works. Richard Dawkins in The God Delusion writes 464 pages in an attempt to present you with a plausible argument, an attempt to persuade you with persuasive speech to pull your mind in the direction that he wants you to go, the God delusion. So false doctrine, one of the points of it is it is composed of plausible speech, plausible argumentation. It's persuasive. Number two, verse eight, false doctrine, <laughs> these are all similar, but is philosophical. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy. 
One of my friends wrote on Facebook this month, quote, I do not agree with or support the events that occur in the Bible and have found that taking philosophy courses helped me to form my own opinions about God, end quote. Philosophy. I've heard that line so many times. People go to college, they take a philosophy course, and all of a sudden their whole faith is shaken because they're hearing argumentation that is different and it's persuasive, it's philosophical, it sounds good, and there you go. This is why Paul struggles with them. Number three, false doctrine has regulations. Verse 20. If with Christ... Look at me, verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations like do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? So false doctrine will require you to follow its regulations. Okay, All false doctrine, people will say, we don't follow religion, it's just a bunch of rules. Every doctrine has regulations for you to follow. And if you don't, they will condemn you with the regulations and make you feel stupid. Um, this is another alluring effect of false doctrine. It's one of the ways false doctrines can take a hold of you. Um, it's by their regulations. I think virtue signaling is a, a good example of this. Number four, the nature of false doctrine. It appears as the appearance of wisdom, verse 23. This is similar to number one referring to these regulations, they have indeed an appearance of wisdom. An appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Right? So it has the appearance of wisdom. It doesn't look, it doesn't look stupid all the time. Sometimes think like false doctrines, like someone saying the earth is flat. It's like, well, that's false. You know, it's some stupid or obvious like that. But um, false doctrine, one of the alluring factors of it is that it will sound persuasive. It will have the appearance of wisdom. And I'm going to talk a little more about that in a second. But, and then finally, the nature of false doctrine, it's religious. It can be religious, right? It's religious. Verse 23, promoting self-made religion. And all of these, in some sense, have to do with, I think, a significant part of them deal with Judaism, right? Uh, there's food laws, there's drink laws, there's festivals, there's new moons, there's Sabbaths, right? Uh, and we're going to talk more about that, but these are religious things, right? The false doctrine is composed of religious elements. And so I think just in reflecting on this... Um, I think one of the reasons so many people are tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, remember that verse? Is because doctrine is convincing. False doctrine is convincing. It sounds smart, it's persuasive, it's wise, it's philosophical. Um, and so I would encourage you guys, don't underestimate the persuasiveness and complexity of false doctrine in your life. Those who hold to false doctrines have brains, and they may even be able to present their false doctrine better than you can present true doctrine, you know? a scary thing. False doctrine is a constant threat because it's alluring. It tickles the ears. Remember that verse? If you have ever strayed from Christ in any sense at any point in your life, it is because you were to some degree allured by false doctrine and false teaching. You became convinced by teaching that was contrary to Christ. 
False doctrine is a con- constant threat to our faith, which is why Paul's writing the way he is in this chapter. And so that's the nature of false doctrine. I would, from this chapter, I would write some of these things. Plausible argumentation, philosophical, has regulations, appears wise, and it can be religious. That's the nature of false doctrine. And then I want to move to, I thought I had a different slide for this, the content of false doctrine. What is, what is false doctrine made of in this chapter? So if you look at verse 8, what is one of the, what is some of the content of false doctrine in verse 8? Someone just yell it out. What's that? That's right, yep. Man's tradition. Elemental spirits of the world. Yeah, that's right. Those are two in verse 8. Good. And then verse 16. I'm going to have this on the screen here. Let's just go through this whole thing and just highlight some of the content of of, uh, false doctrine. What is it made of? Just yell it out. Start verse 16. Food. Yeah. Festivals. Yeah, new moon, Sabbath. So keep going through this text and just start listing out what is some of the content of false doctrine. Yeah, good. Visions, yeah, yeah, right. They're going on details about visions. Good. Worship of angels. Good. Yeah. Regulations. Yep. Yep. What are some of them? Do not handle, do not taste. Good. Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Yeah. Human precepts, human teaching. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's the, yeah, it's powerless. Yep. Any more content words? Severity to the body. Yeah. Good. There's just some of the content of false doctrine. I think it would be, I didn't get a chance to do this, but might be good to do a study on how Jesus interacts with a lot of these in the Gospels. Like, uh, I was thinking about this. I, I wish I'd been able, but like, talking about the Sabbath. Um, and, you know, he was doing things on the Sabbath that they thought weren't lawful, or, you know, uh, he would touch unclean things, right? Um, and, and a couple of these, I think, he interacts with in his life and so i would want to do a study to see how that would interact with this text but um so this is some of the content of of false doctrine it's what it's described as and um you know not all of these are directly the content of false doctrine you might run into but but i think there are there are strands that run through similar things like the emphasis on yoga and meditation and angels and 
um, dieting, um, emphasis on Peter Lighthart was talking about, uh, teaching kids that like their dead relatives are going to come visit them and, you know, all kinds of things like that. Um, prayers to Mary that, um, I don't think these are as far-fetched as it might sound on, on, uh, when we just look at them, but, um, they just take different forms. So this is the content of false doctrine. And I think I would summarize all of it by saying, um, all of that content, what it is, is it's anything outside of and separated from Christ, right? It's not according to Christ. And that's the whole point of the text. Um, Every one of these, if you look at the text, has a counter with Jesus. So look at verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ, right? So, And that's what he does with the whole text, is he talks about false doctrine and he goes, don't be taken by this. It's not according to Christ, right? So I would summarize. So if you're wondering, well, what is, how can I pinpoint what false doctrine is today? You might say, well, if it's not according to Christ, it might fall into the category of false doctrine, even if it sounds religious. All right, so this is my summary of content of false doctrine. Simply put, false doctrine is not according to Christ. In this chapter, all descriptions of false teaching are rebuked by Paul as not being according to Christ. And so that's, that's the way you would discern when you're listening to teaching. Even if it's persuasive, if you can discern that the teaching is not rooted in Christ or in the doctrine of Christ that you guys do know, then you, would, you, should, be, um, you should be wary of and test that doctrine, right? And so that's my encouragement with the content of false doctrine. Next, I want to talk about the effects of false doctrine. What will false doctrine do to you? So let's look at, first of all, verse 4. Colossians 2, 4. I don't have this on the screen, so make sure to look at it. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. So the first thing, one of the effects of false doctrine is it will delude you. It'll seep into your mind. It will start to saturate you. It will delude you. That's what... um, that's what the, the plausible arguments will do to you. They'll delude you. Number two, verse eight. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. So false doctrine will take you captive, so to speak. Another way to put this is it'll, it'll, it'll take you as booty in war, right? That's the, that's the meaning of the word here. Um, the point is that it will humiliate you, it will dispossess you, it will strip you of everything valuable, and it will take it off with it into uh, false doctrine land. So that's what false doctrine does. So if you remember in Genesis, I was thinking about this, Genesis 14, where I love this story. Lot's, Lot gets taken as booty by the kings, right? And what does Abraham do? He chases him as far as Dan, and he whoops him, and he brings Lot back, right? Lot and his family. And then they drink, they eat bread and drink wine with Melchizedek. So application, if you have a friend who's been taken captive by false doctrine, chase him as far as Dan, slaughter the false doctrine, 
and bring him to church and have communion. That's my application of this text. I really had a fun time going there in my head. (laughs) But this is what false doctrine will do. It will come in and it will take you captive. It will take what is valuable from you and it will rob you of it. It will dispossess you. It will humiliate you and you will be in slavery to it. And in connection with this, this might be a better connection, but I was thinking, oh, sorry, there it is. I was thinking of the verse in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, where it says, see to it that no one takes you. Oh, no, that's the one we just read. Verse 5 is down here. We destroy arguments. There's the word arguments. And every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Isn't that good? So don't be taken captive by false doctrine. Rather, take every thought captive to the obedience of who? Christ, right? Because that's the center of true teaching. False doctrine will pull you away from Christ. Our job is to see to it that no one does that to you. See to it. It's an active verb. Go for it. Don't let it happen to you. Take every thought captive and destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against Christ. So maybe that's a better connection. If I was preaching at Bethlehem, I probably wouldn't use the Lot story. (laughs) Or maybe I would. I don't know. Number one, uh, third one, false guilt. Another effect of of false doctrine. Verse 16, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to festival or new. I mean, they tried to do this to Jesus all the time, didn't they? Tried to pass judgment over him in some of these, um, these regulations. And so don't let anyone put, this happened, if you, if you uh, share the gospel with your friends and stuff and you sit down over a meal, um, this has happened to me so many times where they try to put something on me and make me feel bad about something. But if it's not according to Christ, don't let someone pass judgment on you. Know what you believe, be grounded there, and don't be duped that way with false doctrine. That's one of the effects. It'll make you experience false guilt. Another one is it'll dis- disqualification, verse 18. Let no one disqualify you, insisting of asceticism, worship of angels, going on details about visions, etc. Let no one disqualify you. That would be another effect of false doctrine, being disqualified by somebody else. And fifth, don't, uh, one of the effects is it will steal your submission from where it should be. Verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, and I'm assuming you guys have, right? If, if you have, this is his argument, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. If you, if you're, if you died with Christ... Why, as if you hadn't, are you submitting to things not according to Christ? So it will steal your submission from where it should be with Christ to things contrary to Christ. It's one of the effects of false, um, false doctrine. And so I've talked about the nature of false doctrine. It's persuasive. I think that's a good summary. The content is it's contrary to Christ. And one of the effects is it will... It'll delude you. It will take you into slavery. Um, 
It will give you false guilt. It will disqualify you. It will steal your submission from where it should be. And now I just want to finish up with a way forward with your mind. A way forward with your mind. And I have, I have six points. And this is my, I'm going to finish this way. Six ways forward with your mind. And I think they're all from Colossians 2. Number one, hold firm to your faith in Jesus. Verse 5. Though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. You see that? So the first thing I would encourage you guys to do is hold firm your faith in Christ. Be resolved that that's where you're at and keep your faith in Christ firm. And God will give you the strength to do that as you trust him for it and as you ask him. So hold firm your faith in Christ. Number two, walk in Jesus, rooted and built up in him. Verse seven. As you have, six and seven, as you have received Christ, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught. Walk in Jesus, established in the faith rooted and built up in him. So this is the way you should live your life. I think uh, last, last time Lance Kramer talked about um, walking means your whole life. I think that's how he described it. And so your whole life should be lived, walked in Jesus, rooted in Jesus, and built up in Jesus. And we're going to talk a little bit in a minute about what that might look like. Walk in Jesus. So hold from your faith in him and walk in him. Number three, This might not sound significant, but I think it is. Be thankful. Verse 7. Walk in Jesus, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. That's how you do it. That's a significant key part of how you walk in Jesus, rooted and built up in him, being thankful. And I wonder how much of the wondering of the mind comes from being discontent and unthankful for what God has revealed to us in Christ. Romans 121 says, although they knew God, they did not honor him or give thanks to him. They didn't give thanks to him, but rather they became futile in their thinking. So they didn't give thanks, rather they became futile in their thinking. So you see the connection between thankfulness and thinking? So it might not sound significant, but I think there's a connection here. Um, They did not honor God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So I wonder how significant of an impact thankfulness has to our minds and to holding fast to right doctrine. James Jordan says, The distinction between the Christian and the rebel thus lies at the point of thanksgiving. It is not possible to take hold of the world with the intention of sinning and still give thanks to God for it. So have, I would just encourage you, have fixed points of the day for Thanksgiving. Maybe when you wake up or when you have a meal or after a worship service or before bed. Cultivate a spirit of Thanksgiving. And don't underestimate what influence a spirit of Thanksgiving will have on your mind and on your faith in Jesus. So I was really encouraged just by thinking through this. I hadn't really connected a uh, spirit of thankfulness with my firmness of faith 
and holding fast to Christ in my understanding, in my mind. And so, number three, be thankful and cultivate that. Number four, meditate on who Christ is. A huge part of this chapter that we haven't touched is Paul meditating on who Christ is. Verse three, in Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, all of them. He is more valuable and he's the culmination of all philosophy, all wisdom and all knowledge. Every branch of education, Christ is the culmination and the highest good of it. Christ is the North Star, Alistair Roberts. Christ is the North Star around which everything else must be oriented. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in him. Verse 9, the fullness of deity dwells in him. We got to look at this. This is pretty cool. Verse 9 and 10, for in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Verse 10, and you have been filled in him. Who's the head and rule of all authority? So the fullness of deity dwells in Jesus, and you have been filled in Jesus. This is where the fullness of God and man meet together in Christ. Right? The fullness of deity in Jesus, and you have been filled in Jesus. All fullness is found in Jesus. So don't replace Jesus for human wisdom or elemental spirits of the world, or philosophy, or any of these good-sounding things that aren't rooted in Christ. If fullness is found in Christ, you don't want to branch off from Christ, unless you don't want fullness, unless you don't want to reach the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Verse 9 and 10. That's, that's such a good point. So this is Paul trying to convince them, don't go astray in your thinking. Number three, head of all rule and authority. Verse 10, Christ is the head of all, all rule and authority, and he has disarmed them. Verse 15. So verse 10 says he's the head, which I think means full authority, full power over all forms of evil, and he has disarmed them. Verse 15. Therefore, hold fast to Christ. He's the head. All authority, all power is given to him over all forms of evil. And so don't stray from Christ. So we're still meditating on who Christ is. Christ is the head of the body, verse 19. So he says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on these things and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God grows with a growth that is from God. So when we're attached to the head, we grow with a growth that is from God, which is the kind of growth we want, right? And that comes from being attached to the head. So being healthy is being connected with your head. Growing in wisdom and understanding, I just want to think about this for a second, is, isn't necessarily about breadth and discovering new things, necessarily, but rather is found and being rooted and grounded in your head, in Christ. All right? Do you want to receive fullness? Do you want to discover the treasures of wisdom and knowledge? Plant yourself deep into Christ. I think that's the point. Plant yourself deep into Christ. Abide in him. Set your mind on him. And then you will grow with a growth that is from him. 
when you're rooted deep in Christ. One of my most influential lines from John Piper is, you don't need to know a lot of things to make a difference. You just know, need to know a few important things and be willing to die for them. When I first heard that in uh, maybe early college, I latched onto that and determined to go deep into my walk and relationship with Christ. Because if I could get there, that everything else would flow out with a growth that is from God. No matter how, how whoever knows how broad it will go, um, but I know it will be a growth that is from God and the fruit will be genuine. Most people think quantitatively when it, think, when it comes to wisdom and knowledge. If I read this amount of books or if I understand this amount of content, if I get these grades, I must have reached more depths of wisdom. And I think most people don't take the time to let content grip their souls. And that's what I'm encouraging here, that the content of Christ would grip your soul it would saturate your mind. It would woo your heart. And to reach those depths, I think, takes meditation. It takes application. It takes practice. It takes time. And so maybe just one way to get really practical here is take one truth in the morning. So if you read your Bible in the morning, take one truth and carry it with you through the day and apply it to your life, that one truth throughout the whole day, apply it to your life. Apply it to your different emotions throughout the day. Your emotions are like this. Take that truth, stability, and apply it throughout the day as your emotions are like this. Take your thoughts and your emotions captive to obey and respond to that truth. And do it until your instinct is to respond based on that truth. That doesn't just happen, right? This is what I'm pushing for. Being rooted and grounded in Christ takes the day-by-day practice of taking your thoughts captive and saturating in the truths of Christ so that the truths grip your soul. And once that happens, that's the depth that we're going for here. If you're not rooted there, rooted, you will be shallow and I think your Christian walk is going to be much more difficult if you're shallow, much more prone to being tossed to and fro, much more prone to be deluded by plausible arguments or taken captive by philosophy or these things. And so I would encourage you, abide in Jesus. Abide in Jesus. Live with him. Let him take, let him dwell in your soul, like the verse says. Abide in Jesus. And eventually, your feelings will begin to conform into the image of Jesus. It takes time, it takes the Holy Spirit, it takes a church community, and go for it. Number five, so that's meditate on who Christ is. And that's how I think rooted with Christ applies to false doctrine. The more rooted you are, the more, the more you're guarded against being pulled away from Christ. Number five, meditate on your union with Christ. Uh, we've gone over this so many times you're filled with Jesus, 10. You're circumcised in him, 11. You're buried with him in baptism. You're raised with him, verse 12. You're made alive with him, first thing, verse 13. That's your identity. Your identity is with Christ. And so I'm making a plea to you as Christians, that's who you are in Christ. 
And so don't be pulled away by false doctrine contrary to Christ. This is your first allegiance is to Jesus. He's your king. He's your God. He's your head. Hold fast to him. And one of the ways is with your mind, meditate on your union with him. You're united with him. And finally, don't be governed by teaching that is not according to Christ. Don't be governed by teaching that not, is not according to Christ. If someone tries to condemn you with other teaching, don't let them. Don't be overcome with guilt. You are in Christ. So don't be governed by other teaching that is not according to Christ. And so those are six ways forward with your mind. They might sound overly simplistic, but I don't think Christianity is about understanding every single argument and being able to respond to every apologetic point. Um, your faithfulness is found in being rooted and grounded in Christ. And the less you are there, the more likely you are to be pulled away by another doctrine. And Paul is struggling with the church of Colossae and Laodicea that they wouldn't go there. That's the whole point of chapter 2. Don't go there. You have been united with Christ. All, all these things that we've unpacked. And so don't be pulled away by false doctrine. Lord, we love your word. We love Colossians. We love how you have laid out warnings and encouragements and instruction for our benefit in your word. Your word is more precious than gold, even the finest gold. It's sweeter than honey. It's a light to our path. Your words were found, Jeremiah says, and we ate them, and they were the joy and delight of our souls. We love your word. And Lord, I ask that you would give us um, the ability and the strength and the mindset to take your truths and to meditate on them so that they grip our souls, that they take hold of us, and that we experience uh, the blessings. I ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would do that work in the young adults here, that we would grow in this, that our minds would become um, rooted and grounded in Christ. And I ask that as we do this, that those in our life will benefit from it, that we will bring people into that joy, that we will bring people into that rootedness, and that we would um, expand into our church and bless other people, and that we would become... Um, we would serve the body as we become rooted and grounded in you. I ask that you would protect everyone here from the allurement of false doctrine that sounds really good. I just ask that you would watch over every young adult, that you would protect us from just a host of information, information on social media, on movies, at work, um, we are just bombarded with false doctrine everywhere we turn. And I just ask that you, would, um, that you would finish the work that you've began in all of us and that you would not let us go astray um, and, and help us not to, um, the verses, uh, be careful that you think you stand lest you fall. I ask that you would help us to be careful, to be wary, to not let our guard down but to see to it that we do not, are not taken captive by philosophy and empty deceit. 
Help us to see to it by sinking our roots deep into Christ. And so be with our young adult ministry. Even the ones that aren't here, I ask that you would watch over them, you would protect them, and that you would lead, lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. I ask all this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Young Adult Ministry at Bethlehem Baptist Church, North Campus in Moundsview, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at bethlehem.church/youngadults.